Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Hey, I'm glad you're here with us today. It's, uh, it's a great day and uh, that you are here with us um, here at the Benish campus, those at Vallejo campus, and joining us online. We are in week three of our series called Believe, and um, it, it's, it's for everyone. Whether you are a longtime Christ follower or you are brand new to the faith or, or even better yet, if you are here today and you've got doubts and you've got questions, you're not sure you understand all this stuff, I am especially glad that you're here today because today we're going to be talking about really what is at the heart of the Christian faith. So the series is called Belief and um, we have a book that's available. We've given out over a thousand, I think over 1100 of these books now. If you have not gotten one, Please, out in the lobby on your way out, they are free, okay? We are giving them. We want everybody to get a book um, and to start reading. Um, we're only in week three, so it's not too late um, to catch up. Each chapter is one chapter per week on, each, on one subject per week. And then in each chapter, there are f- uh, five um, reflection questions to, for you to, to consider, you know, do I believe this? How do I believe this? What does this mean to me? Um, and one of the things I'm really encouraging people to do is pick up one of these. It's just a blank book, okay? And use this. Don't just rush through the reading. Read, take one of those questions each day, and then just journal on it as you reflect on it. Um, and then maybe write a prayer based on that, that uh, teaching for that day. And um, keep this with you. The other thing to do is I really encourage people to get into um, a community group. Uh, because it's in community, in those smaller groups that we can have discussion. And, and some people will have insights that you hadn't thought of. And that will help you grow. And it will help them grow as you share your thoughts. Um, so we're going through this all together as a church. And the best way to get the most out of it is get the book. Read the book. <laughs> um, do the reflection questions, and then be in a community group. And um, I think you'll find it transforming. Now, we started two weeks ago with this. And the first set of beliefs um, that we talked about was this belief in God, the creator God, powerful God, who created us for relationship with him. And then last week, we talked about that personal nature of that relationship, the kind of relationship God wants us to have with him, that no matter what we are going through, he is there with us. And we looked at Psalm 23. And today we are continuing um, with this to- the topic of salvation. And, and maybe if you grew up in church, you heard salvation, you heard being saved. And um, if you didn't grow up in church or somebody from outside of church, you kind of look at that and, have, you know, what is, be- what is salvation? What does being saved mean? Um, well, that's what we're going to talk about today and, and where it hits your and my life. And I want to go back all the way to 1940. Um, in 1940, right at near the beginning of World War II, Allied forces had been pushed back to the point that there was over 338,000 Allied troops stranded on the beach of Dunkirk, France. 338, over 338 um, soldiers. And, and the enemy had them in, completely surrounded. There was no chance for these guys. And one of the largest... Um, sea rescues ever took place. There were over 1,500 different boats, Navy ships, um, personal watercraft, you know, whatever it could be. Anybody that had a boat was asked to come over from England to the French coast to help evacuate. And over the, pro- over the process of about seven or eight days, they all got rescued. They were all 
saved. Okay? And that's really at the heart of what salvation is all about. It's about rescue. Um, and in the same way that those guys on that beach back in 1940 had no means of saving themselves who were stranded and stuck and more than likely would have perished had someone not come rescue them. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being saved or about salvation. It's really about rescue. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters two churches in the first century. And most of our New Testament is actually made up of these letters that were written to different churches in different cities all around the Mediterranean. And in his letter to the Roman church, he wrote to this group that he had never met. He was not a part of founding this church. Um, But he found out that there were believers, Christ followers, first century Christ followers in the city of Rome, like the heart of you know enemy territory, if you will. And he wrote probably the most definitive letter in terms of our faith to this group in Rome. And and actually, if you read the book of Romans, it is really laying out the Christian faith and particularly this whole idea of salvation and what it means. So we don't have time this morning to go through the whole book of Romans, but we're going to center in on chapter 5. Because I think when we get to chapter 5, he kind of condenses everything in a way that we're going to look at this morning. So if you want to follow along, if you've got a Bible, turn to um, the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He's given us. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The heart of this idea of salvation is about rescue. And it's not just about Forgiving my sins. It is far, far greater than that and far, far deeper about. It is about, it is about the rescue of humanity. It is about the, the reestablishing of God's kingdom on this earth. It's about the renewal of a relationship that we can now have with God. And it is really about the beginning of eternal life. That eternal life is not something that is by and by, pie in the sky, when I die kind of a thing. That eternal life starts here and now in this life. And that's what salvation is all about. That salvation has more to it than just the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what we're going to look at together. If you want to kind of unpack it with me. And I want to start with this idea. That eternal life is a gift of God's grace. It is a gift. Which means, as we sang about a little bit earlier... It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. 
It is a gift. By definition, a gift is something freely given. If someone were to give you a gift and you felt like you had to, you know, such a nice gift, you felt like you had to pay them back for something for it, it would no longer be a gift. It'd be something that you bought. Maybe at a really good price, but it would not be a gift. By definition, grace is about gift. And so that's where Paul starts his teaching about salvation, that this is a gift. And he starts with this word, therefore. Now, those of you who were here two weeks ago, I'm just going to tell you, first service failed this test. So this is, you are like, okay, you are, you are the A class, right? So here's the question. Anytime you are reading the Bible or studying through scripture and you come across the word, therefore, what are you supposed to do? Very good. You stop, let's say it together. You stop and see what it is therefore. Yeah. And, and that's what this is because that's a transitional word. And, and what, what Paul is saying is for the first four chapters of this letter, he has been talking about what we talked about the last couple of weeks, that we were created in the image of God. We were created for a relationship with God because of our own willfulness and our own desire to be God of our own lives. We broke that relationship. And it started with Adam and Eve, and it has continued through every one of us. And that broken relationship has meant that we can't have that, re- that relationship with him that we were designed to have. And so he talks about in all those first chapters that God has been in this endless pursuit of his grace to us and that he has revealed himself through his creation. And yet we have this tendency to, to worship created things instead of the creator. That he, he showed his grace to a man named Abraham and made a promise that out of your family will become a great nation and they will be my people. And God revealed himself to Abraham in that way. And that people grew to become a nation, a nation in slavery in Egypt. And so he called Moses, one of those descendants, to lead those people out of their slavery and into the land that God had for them. And in that journey, he gave them what is called the law. Now, the law was God's explanation of this is what it looks like to live in a right relationship with me. This relationship that I want you to have with me, this is what it looks like. And not just in your relationship with me, but this is what it looks like to have a right relationship with each other. And the problem with that is, as good as the law is, and it is good, it doesn't change the heart. And that's what Paul has been leading up to in this whole thing. And, and it's, a, it's, it's like this. You can be driving down the freeway going 75, 80 miles an hour. And you're doing fine cruising along until you see a CHP car. <laughs> and all of a sudden, your speed drops down to 65. But while it draws, that drops down to 65 and you're kind of right up behind him or right alongside him, you are just praying he will get off the freeway so you can get back up to 75, right? <laughs> you will obey the law as long as there's a chance you might get caught. But once you have the chance, you're going to do your own thing anyway because the law does not change the heart. And that's what Paul has been leading up to. And so with all of that background now, he says, therefore... Therefore, since we have now been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We've been justified. We now have peace with God. That relationship is now available to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. See, our willful disobedience, that heart of rebellion that cannot be changed by the law, something else had to happen. And Jesus coming 
is the culmination of God's relentless pursuit of grace to us. Because Jesus came to reestablish that relationship. And, 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 and the problem is this. See, the reason we needed rescue is because we are in trouble. We have made a mess of things. And you don't have to look too far in this world to see we've kind of made a mess of things. And you can kind of look at your own life and say, I kind of made a mess of things. And see, the trouble is worse than we think. The trouble is that all of us suffer from this thing called sin. So Paul goes on. Actually, in chapter 10, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And by the way, in case you didn't get that, there is no one who understands. And in case you didn't get that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who is who here is righteous? No one. Who understands completely this thing? No one. Who has sinned? Everyone. You and me. And, and that's the problem. And, and the word literally, the little, the word translated sin into our English language literally means to miss the mark. To come up short. It would be like if we kind of got on stage and got a couple of volunteers and we set up an archery range here and, you know, the hay bale with the target over there and we all kind of took our shot at it. Some of us would miss the hay bale completely. Some of us might hit the hay bale but miss the target. Some of us might be able to hit the target, but miss the bullseye because no one hits the bullseye. And that's the deal. The truth of the matter is, none of us even live up to our own standards, much less God. Show of hands. How many here have found it a little bit difficult to be perfect this last week? We all qualify for the no one, all have sinned part, okay? And if you really think about it, what, what sin is, I mean, sin could just be a wrong thought. You know, so, like, if you can go through a whole day and only, like, maybe three times sin, that, that's coming pretty close. You know, that's at least hitting the hay bale, maybe even hitting the target. You multiply that over 365 days in the year, and you're at 1,095 sins in one year. 96, if it's a leap year. <laughs> and then multiply that over your age. <laughs> How'd you like to go to traffic court having, you know, 60,000 tickets on your record? That's the, that's, and in fact, it's even worse than that. Cause, cause missing the mark, you know, we talk about missing the mark and that doesn't sound so bad. Cause at least if I can get close, I'm doing good. Now close might be okay in archery. Close certainly works in horseshoes. But close does not work if you're trying to jump over a canyon. Because you miss the mark there, you come up short there, that is not good news. He says that is the nature of our problem. It's not just that we're, you know, shooting at a target and we miss it. It's like we are trying to bridge a gap. We can't get to the other side. Paul put it this way. The wages of sin is death. There's a bottom to this canyon. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying is none of us can bridge that gap. We just keep coming up short. And every time we come up short, we're just, you know, further down the canyon. And there's a bottom to this canyon. And the ultimate bottom to this canyon 
is death, and not just physical death, but an eternal separation from God, a spiritual death. And that's the nature of the problem. That's why we are so desperate need of rescue. Because we can't jump that canyon to get over to God's side. So what God did was God came to our side in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was God in human flesh. And he is the only one who hit the bullseye every single time. He lived a perfect life in complete and total relationship with God the Father. And then he died in our place. He went down to the bottom of that canyon. He entered that pit for you and me. And you see, that's why it has to be this, this gift of grace, because we couldn't do it in ourselves. And what happens is that in grace, that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus is the culmination of God's relentless pursuit of grace. And he did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. Because see, a lifetime of missing the mark ends in that death. So we needed him to come to our side to live that human life that none of the rest of us could do and then die in our place. He fulfilled the law. This is the way um, Paul wrote to the Romans. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, we were still coming up short. Even our best efforts, we were coming up short. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, by the way, and me. Christ died for the God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid that ultimate price. He goes on. He says, what the law was powerless to do. See, that's the mess that we were in. Because it was weakened by the flesh. That's our human nature, our sinful human nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. This is what makes Christianity unique than any other world religion. Every other world religion is do good, try harder, good luck. God, for us as Christ followers, believe we couldn't do it. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the mess that we were in. We were like the troops caught on the beach in Dunkirk. Unless somebody comes through for us, we're doomed. Christ came and died for us. Now, sometimes people ask me the question, why did he have to die? I mean, can't God just forgive? I mean, after all, he's God. Can't he just decide to forgive and forgive? That's actually a really, really good question. Here's the answer. Anytime anyone forgives, they are making the choice to absorb the pain themselves instead of seeking retaliation. If you hurt me and I choose to forgive, what I am doing in that act of forgiveness is saying, I will not seek revenge. I will not retaliate. I will not think bad of you. I will absorb the pain of that hurt myself. And it stops here. I don't retaliate. And because the nature of our mess ultimately leads to that death, Jesus absorbed the pain of death for us. For all of us. 
throughout the world with all of our three sins a day. (laughs) Thousands and thousands piled up. He paid that ultimate price. Now, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. This also is unique to the Christian faith. Because when he rose, what he proved was that he had the power to overcome death, to overcome our sin, to overcome hell. And he showed that he has taken care of it for good. He has rescued us. He has brought us this new life. Because of what he has done, now we have a life by faith. Because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, now we have this new life. And this new life is a life of faith. Now there's two aspects to this new life. This is two aspects to this idea of salvation. The first is this. He says we have been justified through faith. That's the first one. Justified is a legal term. Justified means made right or declared right or innocent. Now, in our legal system, the jury does not return a verdict of innocent. The verdict is always not guilty. Because in our judicial system, the presumption of innocence is there. And so you can't declare somebody to be innocent. You can only declare them to be not guilty. And, and there's a big difference between not guilty and innocent. See, not guilty means there wasn't enough evidence to convict. They couldn't prove that the person did it. Innocent means he didn't do it. Period. That's the word that is used for what Christ has done for us. You and me, with our three sins a day, 1,095 or 96 leap year sins, over 63 years, (laughs) it's piled up quite a bill. But he looks at me through Christ and he says, you're innocent. You are declared innocent. We have been justified. Now, that's the first part, okay? We've been rescued from that burden of sin. We've been rescued from that mess that we've made. We have now peace with God. That's that relationship through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What happens is that not only am I rescued, but I am given a brand new life. Very often, you'll see somebody maybe who, uh, a shark attack, or someone who was drowning and someone rescued them. Or, you know, something happens and somebody, for all intents and purposes, is going to be dead. But somebody rescues them. And you'll see it on the news all the time. They're interviewed afterwards and they will say, I feel like I have a new lease on life. Because I was a goner. I was dead. I had no hope. I had no t- This person rescued me and I feel like I've got a new lease on life, that, that I've got a purpose, that I'm not done with this life. And it, and it fundamentally changes them. And that's the second part here. Access by faith into this grace which we can We have a new standing with God. He has not only forgiven us, He has given us a new lease on life. And that's the whole deal. And every bit of it, every bit of it is appropriated by faith. And that's what this whole belief series is all about. Because faith isn't just, like I said, a creed that I can recite or, or, or a tenet of faith that I can sign my name to. Belief has to do with the way that I think. 
The change of my mindset. And that's what Christ does in our lives. He begins to change as we read his word, as we begin to understand that relationship. It changes the way that we think. And that's why this is so, so an important series. How do we understand what God has done for us? So it changes the way that we think, which, uh, which then works itself out in the way that we behave and the way that we act. So that ultimately, it's who we become. And that's the life that Christ has given to us. That's what he's made available to us. We are saved from our past and our sin, but we are also saved for a new life. And that's what Paul is writing about here, that God's grace is much, much more than just forgiveness. It's about something much bigger than that. Back in the 1800s, uh, there was a guy named Charles Blondin, or Blondine, I'm not sure exactly how it was pronounced. But he was a world-renowned tightrope walker. And, and he would do crazy things, kind of like the Wallendas do you know, in our modern times. Um, but one of the things that he did was he had a tightrope strung across from the United States side to the Canadian side over Niagara Falls. And he many times would go back and forth and crowds would just gather, see this guy tightroping across Niagara Falls, back the other way. He would do crazy things. He would push a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls and push it back. Um, he actually did on one occasion, he actually brought breakfast out in the middle and then lowered it by rope down to the boat, the maid of the mist boat down there, the sightseeing boat and gave them breakfast, you know. He did all kinds of crazy things. He did this number, number of times. And there was one time what he said, he said, I can, I can carry somebody across Niagara Falls. Any takers? Not a whole lot of volunteers. So he grabbed his manager. <laughs> Yeah, this is an actual picture of him, Charles Blondin, carrying across on his back Harry Colcord, who was his manager. And these are the words that Blondin gave to Colcord before they started out. You are no longer Colcord, you are Blondin. Until I clare this place, be a part of me. Mind body and soul if i sway sway with me do not do not attempt to do any balancing yourself if you do we will both go to our death that's faith i read that quote and i said that's it you are no longer cold cord you are now blondin if I sway, sway with me. <laughs> do not, do not attempt to balance yourself. If you do, we are all going down. See, that's the invitation of salvation. Put your trust in me. Do not try to balance yourself. Unfortunately, this is where most Christ followers have the greatest difficulty. Because we feel like, okay, thank you, God, for giving my sin, for forgiving my sin. Now I'm going to do my very best to be the best person I possibly can. And I fail, so I go back and I say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sin. I'm going to try harder to be the best person I can. And then I fail, and I come back and I say, thank you, Lord, that you still forgive my sin. And I'm going to try even harder to not do that next time. And on and on and on it goes. And, and the reason that we keep failing is because we still have this sin nature. And that's the heart that needs to change. And no amount of trying harder is going to get you there. 
And by the way, that is not new. That goes all the way back to the first century Christians. Paul wrote another letter to another church in a city called Galatia, in an area called Galatia. These are the words that he wrote to them. How foolish can you be? How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? That's just foolishness. The only way this is going to happen, the only one, you needed rescue. And now that you've been rescued, now it's not try harder. Now it's your whole life is in me. Trust me. When I sway, sway with me. Do not try to balance yourself. If I could paraphrase this, put my own name in here, and you can put your name in here. I think this is what Jesus says to us. You are no longer Ken Jensen. You are now in me. And until you clear this place, be a part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balance in yourself. If you do, you will fail. Would you bow your heads with me? God's grace is greater than you can imagine. There's no sin that he cannot forgive. There is no brokenness that he cannot heal. There is no struggle that he cannot overcome. That's why it's so amazing. And it is freely available. It is a gift for you right now. And if you find yourself at a point in your life where there it's a personal struggle or, or a difficult situation that you're in or, or, or maybe a characteristic in you that just needs to change. I just want to give you this prayer. Lord Jesus, I cannot, but you can. In my weakness, show your strength. And if you're here today and you're struggling in your faith, you're dealing with a difficult situation. You're trying to figure this all out on your own. Please hear these words. You are no longer that old self. You are now in me, in him. Body, mind, and soul. When he sways, sway with him. But do not, do not try to balance yourself. Now maybe you're here today. And you don't know that kind of a relationship with God. Maybe, maybe as a kid growing up in Sunday school, you made some kind of a decision, but you're not really sure what that was all about, and you sure don't know how it hits your life today. Maybe you have no church background. Maybe you have no knowledge of, it, of, of Christianity, the Christian faith, but today for the very first time, well, that's what it's about. Here's the deal. You can take that first step of faith today. And it's simply acknowledging, I cannot do this. I need your forgiveness. Thank you, you died for me. I want to be in you. And if you've never done that before, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to just take a first step of faith. I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. If you would, just raise your hand 
And as you do, look up and catch my eye. I want to acknowledge you. I want to pray with you and pray for you as we close our time together. Never done this before, but today, today it makes sense. I need that in my life. Just raise your hand. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, I can't. But you did. I do need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need my life to be in you. So today I am asking, by your grace, put that gift in me. Forgive me of my past. Put your life within me and teach me how to follow you for the rest of my life. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.